Jesus, can you be our first thought today? Can you be our first desire? Lord Jesus, I pray that today we would choose you above everything else. God, that we would choose you above our own preferences. That we would choose you over our own past. Lord, that we would choose you over our own perspective. Christ, we pray that you would be our cornerstone this morning. Lord, that you would be our firm foundation that we stand on. God, sometimes Sundays feel like making a hard stop. Lord, like slamming on the brakes just to catch a glimpse of who you are. But Jesus, the truth is, is that you were there throughout all of this week. You were there in the difficult conversations. You were there when we were laughing and when we were crying. Jesus, can we just ease into your presence today? God, we want to know you more. We want to be more like you. Holy Spirit, would you strengthen and empower us to be more like you? It's in Jesus' heavenly, powerful name. Amen. Man, today was a bad day to skip breakfast because it smells so good in here <laughs> um, and everywhere. I just kept seeing crock pots come in the door and I knew it was going to be a good day. <sighs> All right, well, I have a bit of a confession to make. Um, I used all of my baseball personal stories last week. Uh, there's not many of them in my life, okay? Uh, but I used the best ones last week. So this week, uh, for my introduction today, you get uh, shameless dad jokes, which I think are just as good, okay? All right, so here we go. Which player makes the most pancakes? The batter. <laughs> oh, I thought somebody was going to know that one. That's good. All right, next one. What do you call an insect that hits home runs? Close. A fly swatter. That's good. That's good, right? Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay, I think he just won up my dad joke somehow. I don't know. I feel threatened, but it's fine. We'll keep going. Um, did you know that baseball is the first sport that was ever in the Bible? In the big inning. And lastly, but certainly not least, I heard this one and I just thought it was a gem. Um, there were two guys, Bob and Fred, and Bob had a dog. And he told his friend Fred that his dog could actually speak. And he said, yeah, right, it's a dog, it's not going to speak. And so Fred goes over to Bob's house and Fred asks him some questions. And so he goes to his dog and he says, okay, buddy. Uh, what's on the top of the house? Roof. And he says, okay, that one was easy. And so then Bob asked a question. He said, what does sandpaper feel like? 
rough. And he was like, okay, this is ridiculous. And so he asked him a more complicated question. He says, okay, who was the best baseball player of all time? He says, Ruth. To which Bob leaves, feeling like, man, I have fallen for this stupid joke. And then Fred turns to his dog in disappointment, and the dog says, what, was it Frank Aaron? <laughs> so... Um, there you are. <laughs> this week we are moving to second base in our journey through Major League Discipleship. And we started with Pastor Kurt talking about home plate and the dugout and how personal discipleship matters. And last week we talked about church and how we need to disciple within our church. And this week we are rounding the bases on our circle of influence. And this is discipleship within your circle of influence. Now, some of you maybe think, I don't really need to pay attention because I don't really have a circle of influence. Um, I only know a handful of people, and only a handful of them actually listen to me. Um, so I, I want to do a little bit of an exercise with you this morning, and I want you to put your hands out in front of you like this. And this is not rocket science. This is not a competition. But I'm going to list some people. And for every person that I list that you can think of in your life, I want you to put up one finger and count like we're in second grade. Now, there is no competition, okay? So nobody wins for having the most fingers up or the least fingers up, okay? Um, and you do not get to choose which finger who is, if you get my drift. Okay. So um, I'm going to, we're going to start this out. Okay. First one. Put one finger up for each child that you have. Now, if they are married, that is a twofer, okay? So you need to put up two fingers for your child and their spouse. We got some fingers? We got some fingers? Okay. Dale's doing math over there. Okay. Now, uh, put one finger up for each roommate or spouse that you have. Now, some of you may have both. This isn't a Mormon situation. It just means that you have a roommate and a spouse. That's fine. Um, but put those up, okay? Roommate and or spouse. Now, I want you to put one finger up for each coworker that you talk to on a regular basis. Coworker, not outside of work. Okay? Put one finger up for each person that you see in the community regularly. So this might be at the gym or at the grocery store. It might be in your apartment building or at the coffee shop or at the hair salon. Put one finger up for each of those. Did anybody run out of fingers? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to point out that I did not even say putting up fingers for your siblings, for your parents, or even your friends, quite frankly. <laughs> We didn't even get to that topic. See, we all have a circle of influence, don't we? We all have people that what we do and what we say and how we live, it impacts them. Maybe small, but it impacts them. And they're represented in those people that we just even thought of. Now add on to them the family members that you carry as well. Your sister, your brother, your aunt, your uncle. We have a larger circle of influence than maybe we even knew. Now, thinking about this and thinking about all of those folks, I want you to imagine that they're all standing in front of you. Now, think of the ones that don't have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. How many fingers would you have up if we were to list them? 
See, there are folks in our circle of influence that don't have the hope of Jesus. And whether you like it or not, you have an impact. You have, your life, the life that you live, has an impact. And we understand discipleship, I would say, at home plate. We understand discipleship in our church. You know, I get the fact that I should have somebody pouring into my life and that I should be pouring into somebody's life. We also understand discipleship in the world. That's what Jesus said. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We understand that we can invite strangers to church, that we can talk to people that we may never see again. But I would suggest that second base is the trickiest because it's the risk, right? It's a risky situation to disciple to the people that are in your circle of influence. It's risky to disciple to the people that we listed. It's risky because, man, I see those people. I talk to those people. I influence those people. What if they look at me differently? But it's high risk and it's high reward. Because imagine this, if you can get second base, if you can impact the world around you, if you can impact your circle of influence, how much easier will it be to impact the world? See, second base is tricky and it's also risky. And I'll tell you why. This is the first reason. Second base has a cunning baseman. He has a cunning baseman. Um, second base has a person who is a second baseman, and their job is to monitor that base, both from the people that are arriving and the people that are leaving that base. I was reading an article today, or not today, this week, about Jackie Robertson, and he, Robinson, and he was, they were talking about how he alone could field more balls as a second baseman than the shortstop and the pitcher because he had a crucial moment in time to monitor. And it says that he would, he would watch and make sure that any opportunity to get to third base was thwarted. Now the enemy, the devil, does the same exact thing in your life. He does the same exact thing. He waits and he watches to thwart every opportunity that you have to either get to second base or to move from it. He waits. He stalks. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I read this week about lions and how lions are some of the slowest big cats. They have small hearts and small lungs compared to other big cats. And so what that means is that they depend on getting very close to their prey. Very close. On sneaking up within 32 yards before they ever start to chase them. And that's what the enemy does. He creeps up. He stalks. He waits. He prowls like a lion to devour and he's waiting to catch you before you, can dis dis before you can disciple those within your circle of influence. 
John 8, verse 44, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil's best tactic at this base or any base is to whisper lies to you, very convincing lies to you. Things like, they don't want to hear about Jesus. Or, or stuff like, I would be so embarrassed if they responded poorly. Or, or they might ask me questions that I don't know the answers to. Or this one, my own faith isn't perfect. How could I possibly share? Or I don't even know where to start the conversation. Now I'll be honest with you. Some of those might be true. You might get embarrassed. I get embarrassed like on a daily basis, okay? Let's just, yeah, you might get embarrassed. They might respond poorly. I don't know. You know they might even ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. I've heard of this thing out there, though. Um, two things, actually. The Bible and Google. And if you need a third, your pastor is probably another one you could throw up there. Okay? Uh, you might not know how to start the conversation, but let's be honest. Conversations that matter are always difficult to start. But you do it anyway because it matters. And guess what? I'm going to dispel this now. Your faith isn't perfect. Mine isn't either, and I have to share the gospel with you every week. (laughs) See, See, all of these things, they're not reason enough to not disciple your circle of influence. They're not reason enough to look at those people, to look at your fingers of the people that you listed and say, meh, they don't need a relationship. See, no one plays baseball to sit on the bench. No one does that. We said that every single week, that you will not score a home run unless you get in the game. And you will not disciple the people. The people around you will not have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. You may be the only interaction that they have with somebody who looks and sounds like Jesus. And this is so important. It's risky, but it forces us to decide that taking the risk is more important. Taking the risk is more important than my pride. Next one. Discipling our circle of influence is risky. It also entails a certain level of accountability. What happens if I share about the hope of Jesus and then the next day I come in and I'm having a bad day at work and I slip up? What does that say about Jesus? And I'll tell you, it doesn't say much about Jesus, but it says much about you. And we don't like that. We don't like that we're human, that we make mistakes. But this is the beautiful beauty in that moment, is that it doesn't matter that we make all those mistakes, but that we trust and we receive forgiveness from Jesus. You know, second base is risky because second base is one of the first areas where we see the double play happening. Who knows what a double play is in baseball? It's when you hit the ball and you get more than one person out. And this is what what the enemy wants to do. He doesn't want to just get you out. He wants to get the person behind you out. 
He wants to get the person that's hitting the ball out. He wants to get every single person out behind you. Listen, this place is risky, but it's high risk, high reward. It's not just you that he's after. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 10, verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. See, the devil is an opportunistic player, which means that you have to be too. You have to beat him at his own game. Second base is all about looking for opportunities. When you're standing on second base, you know the hitter. You know what they're going to hit. You see the curveballs that they're getting thrown. You trust your gut and you run when you see an opportunity. In the same way, with our circle of influence and those people that we listed, we have to run when we see a good opportunity. And I'm not talking like run in the other direction. I'm talking run towards a good conversation about the hope of Christ. That means that when your coworker is like, man, you are always happy. That, that isn't a moment to just laugh it off and run to work. No, we, we book it to the next base. We book it to a conversation about how we have the joy of the Lord. That means uh, that when, when you're at the grocery store and the cashier that you see every single week says to you, you always make me laugh. That means that we run. We run towards a conversation about hope. That means when your daughter says, mom, I don't know how I'm going to make it. That means that you run towards that conversation about hope. That means when your husband says, I just don't see any way. You run towards a conversation about hope. See, we have to be opportunistic Christians. We have to look at life and just be ready, ready for that ball to be hit so that we can go running. This is the next one. Discipling our circle of influence requires readiness. It requires readiness. It requires that we are waiting for those opportunities. 2 Timothy 4, it says, Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Isn't that funny wording? Whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Other versions say, be ready in and out of season. When I read this, I kind of thought about, if you've seen Endgame, and Thor, like, had a beer belly. <laughs> um, but he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to take on the world. In the same way, if somebody has a terrible off-season where they don't get off the couch, they're not going to be ready in-season. And we have to be ready. And it says whether the time is favorable or not. Notice what this doesn't say. It doesn't say be ready when you feel very confident. Feel ready when you're having a good day. <laughs> you know, feel ready once you've read every single page of the Bible and all the commentaries that go along with it. Be ready. No. It says, be ready. Whether it's favorable or not, be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to share that hope? Are you looking for those opportunities? Because guess what? The second baseman, he's ready. He's ready to get you out. 1 Peter 3, 15. 
It says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope, as a, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And if someone asks you, always be ready to explain it. I would venture to say that the world is asking you. They're not asking you in plain language. They're asking you with their lives. Where is the hope in this? Are you ready? I stumbled upon a post a few weeks ago, and it was called uh, The 40 Rarest Photos Ever Taken in All of, the, all of Time. And I have a few of them to show you this morning. Um, this picture is a picture on the opening day at Disney World. Look at all those people. And you can tell that they're not at the back of the line. Uh, this next photo that I have, uh, this is Steve Jobs and Bill Gates sitting in a living room in 1991 discussing the future of computers. Look at that carpet. <laughs> okay, next one I have. This one is the cast of Star Wars before they ever started filming. I wonder who played the Wookiee. <laughs> uh, this next one that I have, this is uh, Muhammad Ali to your right, and he was talking this man out of throwing himself off of that building to end his life. Next one. Uh, this would be Harley and Davidson on their first model that they were premiering of their motorcycle. They look like kids. Next one. This one's my favorite. Uh, this is a, a woman named Catherine Switzer, and she entered the Boston Marathon before women were allowed to run in it. And this picture is of a man who was an official who was literally trying to pull her out of the race and her boyfriend pulling him off. And she just keeps running. Each one of these photos, these folks had no idea what they were on the front end of. They had no clue what would come next. And, and the person behind the camera of each one of these moments had no idea the importance of these photos. You have no idea what you're on the front end of. Every week I hear conversations and I get to speak with you about the folks in your lives that are in your circle of influence that are not receiving love, that are not walking in salvation and hope. You have no idea what you're on the front end of. But you can't stop running the race just because it's discouraging. I think of this picture and I think of my call as a pastor. Not too long ago was this a woman preaching up on stage and people fighting her and fighting for her. See, the people in your circle of influence, they deserve your love. 
They may not realize it. They may not appreciate it. But man, who are you going to be in this photo? I think so often in our circle of influence, we get discouraged. We get discouraged that we're the only ones, that we're talking to a wall. But you have no idea what you're on the front end of. None. Brene Brown, she said, sometimes the bravest and most important thing you can do is just show up. Our world is full of people that need you to show up. They need you to be there. They need you to show up with hope. Listen, when you're playing baseball, that that runner, he just needs to show up, doesn't he? He needs to get there. And the same is true in our circle of influence. We have to show up. And let me tell you, they are not all going to be grand slams, okay? Some of them are going to be small seeds planted over time day in and day out, but they're worth it. Are you ready? Are you ready? The common question to ask right here would be, when do I share then? When do I need to run? (laughs) How do I know that it is time to go? And I would say this, when we encounter hope, we also encounter an opportunity. Every time that you encounter hope, you encounter an opportunity. Every single time. And you can't get to second base without also starting here and going here. So, so let's talk about this. At home, uh, at home base, and also at church, there should be moments when you encounter hope. There should be times when you encounter this hope of Jesus that is inspiring and powerful. And when that happens, when, first, or when home and first base happens, that means that you encounter an opportunity to run to second. Every single time that you encounter those things, that is an opportunity to share it. Jesus doesn't just give you hope for you. He gives you hope for every single person that we can possibly list in our circle. Paul knew this. But Paul knew this because he had a huge encounter with hope. Um, Acts 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. The breath that he was breathing was murderous. Right? Breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, who belonged to Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He's literally on his way to a place to find men, women, and children that belong to Jesus and kill and imprison them. And something drastic happens. And we know this story. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. 
I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Other versions of this say that he was astonished and trembling. Astonished and trembling from this holy flash of light from heaven. I don't know about you. Have you ever turned your uh, flashlight on your phone on accident? <clears throat> right? <laughs> it hurts, okay? Um, I was going to take a picture of what it would look like when I did that, and this is the best picture I have. Ah, right? <laughs> it's just plain black. You, you slam your eyes shut, right? You're like, ooh, and you're like hoping to God that you can just mem- remember where to press on the phone to make it stop doing those things. This also happens in Flash when you're taking a picture. <laughs> You slam shut, and you get scared, and you're like, oh, I do not want to have to see that again. And that's what happens to Saul. His eyes slam shut. And I imagine that if I'm Saul, I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, I don't want to open my eyes because that big bad light is out there. I don't want to do that because, man, that hurt. Look at what happens next. Verse 4. Saul got up from the ground... But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And I imagine what that would look like as Saul is standing there, eyes squinted, and he slowly opens his eyes, thinking that he is about to get that flash again. And he opens his eyes slowly, bit by bit, and he sees nothing. It's as if you can almost hear God saying, you shut your eyes to me for so long, Saul. This is the only way I could get your attention. And boy, does he. God grabs hold of Paul, and he becomes one of the most crucial individuals in the formation of Christianity. He writes so much of the New Testament, including this verse in Galatians. This letter is from Paul, an apostle, Catch this. I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And this keys in on a specific truth that we have to land on today, and that is how long are you going to wait? How long are you going to wait? Paul, he says, Nobody told me I was ready. Nobody but Jesus told me I was ready. And I think that we are all waiting for the right situation to set itself up. You know, for the right words, for somebody to train us perfectly so that we can talk about Jesus with those people in our lives. And let me tell you, it's not going to happen. There is no situation in which you're not going to have to take a risk. This is the riskiest base. And you don't get out of it scot-free. It takes being ready. It takes having an honest relationship with the Lord. It takes having the hope of Christ change us. Because listen, when hope changes us, we will share. When hope changes us, we will move. When hope comes into place, we will start running. 
The problem is not that you are shy or scared. Let me tell you something. The devil would love for you to believe that. He would love for you to believe that you are just shy and scared because those things have to do with shame. You are not shy and scared, no. The reason we don't share is because we haven't allowed the hope to really change us, to really impact us so much that we say, no matter the risk, no matter the embarrassment, no matter how scared I am, the hope that matters more. See, and I imagine that a lot of us are like Paul, who sees this flash from heaven, and we slam our eyes shut, and with great hesitation, we open our eyes little by little, terrified of what comes next. But listen to what comes next in verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he got up and was baptized. See, he didn't wait a single second. <laughs> he saw the opportunity, and he ran. He saw it, and he ran towards people. He saw it, and he ran towards the hope of Jesus. He saw what, what he had not seen all of his life, the truth of who God is and who Jesus is, and he booked it. He said, I am ready for this opportunity. I want to enter into a time of prayer with you guys. If you want to close your eyes with me. And I want you to picture those people in your circle of influence. Maybe you need to add a few. I want you to picture those people in your life that don't have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Can you see them? These people might be the folks that you pray for more than they will ever know. They might be the people that you have given up on. As you look into their eyes, as you see their faces, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? See, the reality is, is that the opportunities that happen for us to share hope, they happen in our lives, not theirs. We're not waiting for them to have a crisis so we can say, see, I told you this. We aren't promised tomorrow. We aren't promised third base. All we can do is patiently wait and eagerly take those opportunities. 
Jesus, if I'm honest with you, I'm scared about the folks within my circle of influence. Jesus, if I'm honest with you, I feel like I have maybe taken some, some risks and it didn't work. Jesus, if I am laid bare before you, I would tell you that I'm embarrassed. Lord, your, your apostle said, uh, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Jesus, I want to run again. I want to wait for your opportunities again. Lord, so long I have been looking and hoping and waiting. Jesus, but I don't want to miss any opportunities. During this last song, I just want to challenge you to take some time. And we're going to pray for those folks that are in our circle of influence. Maybe that means that you come to the altar just as a way of coming before the Lord and laying them before Jesus. Maybe that means that you pray together with somebody that's around you. Maybe that means that you stand up and worship. And I want this last song to be just filled with prayers, filled with prayers for the people that are far away from Jesus, that we are so close to.